Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand. Walking in Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm Red Bull Mike Race. Wayne Locke is with me in the studio, and we've got Alex Rutledge on the line. Alex, how in the world are you? I am doing good, Red Bull. I apologize for not being in the studio, guys. I had to work late at the office there at Eminence, Missouri, and... That's why I'm not in the studio. But, man, have we got another great show lined up for everybody. And I want to touch on this first segment about uh, whitetail hunting. Archer season's open right now. Mm-hmm. And talk about what the whitetail are doing here in the Midwest. I know one thing they're doing. They're running all over the roadways. I believe we have more deer than I believe in history. Would you agree, Wayne, from what you're seeing? Well, I'm seeing a lot of does and fawns and some young bucks, that's for sure. More than I've had on camera the last couple of years, that, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm seeing them on the highways. I mean, every morning I'm seeing three or four, five or six, seven or eight. And then in the evenings, they're just everywhere. And, and hearing reports from people that are just seeing deer everywhere. So I kind of agree with you, Alex. I think there there are a lot of deer out there, and it should make for a banner hunt. Well, I would agree with you 100%, uh, Redbone and you know, you got to take your hat off to uh, what's transpiring before our very eyes with with people food plotting now and, and people being stricter on what they shoot and people trying to shoot bigger, mature bucks. And uh, I think you can give credit to that uh, strategy or that, that focus of what people's doing now here in the Ozarks. Now, the downside to all that, Alex, is, you know, if people are just concentrating on on uh, killing bucks and a lot of the deer we're seeing are does and fawns you know in one respect that that's gonna uh, hinder the hunter out there because you know our doe ratio may be getting out of whack i would agree with you 100 percent on that statement that you just made uh we've got to keep our our buck doe ratio to balance to keep a healthy deer herd i am concerned and wayne and i've talked about this well as you too we have talked about our concerns about deer numbers here in the Midwest. If we get too many deer, uh, diseases can be more acceptable, and you will see stunner growth in some of the fawns that's being born, and uh, it's just not good. So I think uh, some of the counties here in the mid in the Midwest here in the Ozarks is allowing more doe tags and some counties are not in certain areas so i would agree with your statement and uh we need to kill more does and we'll talk about that in this first segment as we progress yeah that's actually been the number one conversation piece on facebook that i've been getting asked in the last two weeks is about buck doe ratio what it should be what the effects are um if you have too many does what you know What's a way to take care of it if you only have limited doe tags? How do you you know get your herd back under control? Again, that 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 is something we'll talk about here. But uh, what I want to talk about right now, then we'll get into that in just a little bit. We've got about uh, seven eight minutes left here in this segment. Uh, right now, we're starting to see here in the Midwest, from my scouting observations and checking trail cameras, I'm starting to see scrapes. Some scrapes showing up. The velvet rubbing's taking place. The deer are right now at the end of the prep phase, what we call the preparation phase, going into what we call the early part of the pre-rut. 
So that's what we're seeing. Would you guys agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and, the, and the timing is just absolutely right for that, too. And, and Alex, you might explain to folks that don't understand what exactly is the, uh, the, the pre-rut and, and the, where they're at now. What, what does that mean the deer are doing? Okay, the preparation phase you will see uh, throughout the summer months before the velvet shed starts, these bucks are in bachelor groups, and you'll see families of does and fawns together. And what happened is, and I've stressed this several times, but uh, we need to educate maybe people who haven't heard this. And I've learned this from studies and also friends with biologists and doing research with them and talking with them. The preparation phase when we're talking about bucks is the phase when the they're in velvet and they're bachelor groups, and all of a sudden the days are starting to get shorter. There's less daylight uh, in the daytime. So the days are getting shorter, the weather's getting cooler. So what happens is the testosterone levels within these bucks uh, start to increase. So what happens, the velvet shed starts. When the velvet shed starts, the bucks start changing. They start becoming more aggressive. So those bucks that was in bachelor groups become enemies. They start establishing that pecking order, in a sense, and then all of a sudden you start seeing bucks starting to separate. You don't see bucks in big groups anymore or groups of two and three, four and five, six. You're seeing bucks going out by themselves. So what you have now, once the velvet sheds start and they, they get at the back part of this prep phase, like right now, the velvet sheds already happened going into the early part of the pre-rut. You'll see some young bucks together occasionally, but you'll see most of your mature bucks usually by themselves right now. So what's happening is they've established the pecking order, and as the days get shorter and shorter, and the weather gets cooler and cooler, they start cruising more and more. We call cruising, that means going out of their home area and going doe-to-doe families checking for Esther's hot does. Yeah, and that's when you start seeing bucks that you haven't seen all summer on your farm or showing up on your trail cameras, and you go, wait a minute, where did he come from? Well, probably about a mile east or west of you. <laughs> uh, so, exactly. I mean, I mean that's, that, that's what exactly. they're doing right now. Exactly, and, and Wayne and I, we, we, we study and watch our deer, I mean, religiously. Uh, I say our deer, the MDC's deer, everybody's deer. We monitor what they're doing, and once you can understand the phases of the rut, it makes you a better deer hunter, and you have a better touch of biology and everything, and it makes you a better hunter, really. Uh, so that being said, uh, they're going in that early part, lighter part of prep, into the early part of pre-rut, and as the days get shorter, and the weather's going to get cooler as we progress throughout the month here, you're going to see more and more scrapes show up, more and more rubs, the bucks will start cruising a wider area, too. According to studies, they say a mature buck will spend 90% of his life in a 40-acre area. Mm-hmm. But what happens is all the bucks that you just touched on, say all of a sudden there's a bucket shows up, that buck left his home area to seek out does in the area that you may own or where you're hunting. Right, and another thing to make sure to pay attention to is when you start seeing the younger bucks, uh, you know, chasing the does or, you know, following them and sniffing at them and pushing them, you're then about two weeks away from the big bucks getting ready to breed because they're going to let those small ones have their fun and they know they're not going to do anything. A a mature doe is not going to let a young buck breed them. But when you start seeing them young bucks starting to get active, because they're always going to get more active before the mature bucks do, just start getting ready because the mature bucks are going to be shortly behind them. Because the mature bucks has more knowledge than they do. Right. It's like uh, going to a school dance. 
you know, you get a bunch of young boys together, and they say, hey, let's run over here and dance with one of these girls. And somebody's got more experience that's an older someone in high school, say, hey, let's just walk over and dance with all of them. <laughs> you know? well, and, they, so, and, the, and those old bucks know they can serve their energy. They do. Because they know it's a rigorous, rigorous rut, depending on the does in a certain area. Mm-hmm. And that's why you'll see some of these bucks that's been harvested, killed, a rack of bones, because he's been rutting for so long. But we could really get in depth with all these pages and talking about everything in whitetails. If you really broke it down, there's actually four different breeding phases, like explaining prep, pre-rut, peak, and post, that does will actually come into esters. And you could actually even go into five months, depending what areas we're talking about. So I've seen does bred early as early October. Then I've seen them bred end of October, in the middle of November, last of November, December, January, and even in February, does being bred. So think about that. A lot of that depends on buck doe ratio and if the doe accepted when she was bred. So think about it. Yeah, and also a lot will depend on uh, the uh, uh, the fawns because the fawns are going to be say, in the same uh, cycle as their mamas are. Well, oh, yeah. some are and some yeah. ain't. You know, you can compare, and I say this often in seminars and when I do uh, uh, radio podcasts, shows, whatever. But deer are a lot like a dog. An older, mature doe can cause other does closer to her age to come into esters. You ever notice a female dog, when she comes in heat, she causes other females in the area to come in heat also. All right, Alex, we're about out of time for this segment, so let's, uh, let's talk about who the guest is going to be today and, and what we're going to talk about here on today's show, because I think it's going to be interesting for a lot of folks. Well, I think it is, too. We've got a good friend of mine, Mike Mueller. He is the general manager for a ATV company in Forest City, Arkansas, and we're going to talk about the usage of ATVs and the maintenance of ATVs and the safeties and the hazards of ATVs, and also talk about his whitetail hunting experiences. It's going to be a great show. You're going to learn how to take care of UTVs and learn some tips also on whitetail hunting. Everybody, don't go away. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors with Mike Mueller right after this. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. I've been on a big board for a while, like load him in the back of my truck. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm the Red Bull Mike Crace. Uh, Wayne Locke is in the studio, and Alex on the line with our guest. Alex, I know we talked a little bit about uh, this guy in the last segment, but uh, introduce your guest, and uh, let's jump right into this. Hi, everybody. As, as promised in the first segment of the show, we have Mr. Mike Mueller. Mike Mueller is a longtime friend. I met him many years ago, believe it or not, uh, from Donaldson, Missouri, uh, racing, riding lawnmowers. <laughs> this guy can build a racing lawnmower. He can pitch anything. Mike Mueller is an avid outdoorsman. He's a man of faith. Him and he's got a wonderful family. Uh, he is also now the general manager for a ATV dealership in Four City, Arkansas. And uh, him and I talked the other day. He reached out to me and thought, man, what a great subject matter to talk about ATV safety, the hazards, and maintenance of ATVs. But before we do that, I want to get everybody in tune with who you are. Let's kick it off like this. And, Wayne, I'm going to let you kick it off with you. Yeah, how you doing today, Mike? 
Oh, doing just great. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, let's start off with how we we love to hit, introduce our guests, and that is, who is Mike, where are you from, and where did you grow up at? Yeah, not a problem. So originally, uh, born way over on the uh, West Coast there, over in Portland, Oregon. Uh, did uh, I, was, I was only two years old, but uh, got adopted into a family, into quite a large family of uh, 13 um, oh, wow. my, my parents there. So that's, that's been my parents my whole life who I called mom and dad. And, uh, their, their family was from Donovan or the Donovan area. So that's kind of where we vacationed every year. But, uh, as a family of 13, we, we, uh, went from Portland, Oregon over to, uh, Chicago where I was really in a, in a little, in a town called Cicero right outside of Chicago there. Um, after 18 years there, I decided that that just wasn't for me. Uh, I did many jobs around there. Uh, believe it or not, I was w- once worked at the Chicago Board of Trade, but uh, uh, always knew that this was our, our family uh, time to just uh, come down, get away from the, the hustle and the bustle of the city life, and just to come down and really enjoy uh, what the outdoors is about down here and in, in where I'm from uh, now in Donovan, Missouri. And so uh, after uh, after 18, I went ahead and joined the military, uh, part of the Navy there where I became uh, 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 aviation machinist mate and then part of the search and rescue. But that's where I kind of got my hands-on knowledge on the aviation side on, and just had a general uh, great sense of um, you know, mechanical science and put, put that to good use and just kept building on it and building on it. And, uh, uh, to the point where I thought where, you know, the, I had done my time in the military and I thought I'd, I'd come home. So instead of coming back home to, to Chicago, I knew that, you know, I wanted something different. I knew that, I knew that the city life just wasn't for me and, and, uh, came down and found, a. uh, place where I met my, my wife, my beautiful wife, now married at 21 years, Amanda, and uh, me and her settled down and, and had the one daughter that we have now, which is Gabby, and and uh, just ever since then, we've, we've, I've now lived longer because I'm, I'm 44 or 43 now, one of those two, put it that way, <laughs> and uh, live longer in, in, in Donovan than I have in the city, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I just, I really enjoy the uh, aspects of of what brought me to to where I am today, and you know, there's so many people to thank for that, and and uh, you know, we talk about our roots and what it is, and it's great to to line five six people up in a room, and none of them have the same background, and I, I think that's just a, a great aspect to life. Well, it sounds like and those so, family uh, uh, sounds like those family vacations you did were really planted the seed for your your <laughs> loving the outdoors, and you know, and coming back to Donovan, then, isn't it? Absolutely. That kind of brought me brought me to, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that when you leave, you didn't want to leave and it's and you just couldn't wait to get back. And, and, and not only was obviously as a kid and you're growing up in school and, uh, you know, you, you obviously want time off of as a kid and all that. But there was something different that just said, you know, I want to go back to 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 where I am down there. And so after the military, we moved down here and uh I started working for General Motors and, and became a tech there uh, where I got some ASC certifications and, and did all that. So I just tried to c- continue my career in the uh, into the mechanical side of things. And 
um, really moved up into that technical, professional, technical level where I really broke it down. But we learned to have fun with it, too. You know, like like Alex was saying, you know, we met uh, doing lawnmower racing. That was kind of a thing that it really didn't exist. It was just starting to, you know, Alex, Alex can tell you this. It just wasn't a, a big, big thing. But very few people, if they heard of it, they just thought of it as, you know, the vision of just these, um, just a hometown roots and and taking taking a regular lawnmower and racing and that's really what it started but we we got into doing uh, uh, an actual club for it um where where we were able to just reach out to not just a specific group of people that was interested in racing but even the children alex i, I know maybe you might remember when we had some of the very first in the entire nation six and seven year olds racing in yeah. sanctioned races and and, yeah. and 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 you know those are the kind of things that even as my daughter right now, who who is currently the the president at, at um, uh, Missouri State University for the archery club, she will tell you her whole life she grew up in a different world than I did, but she wouldn't go back and change it. And she will always uh, say, you know, one of the things that she'll never forget as a child is lawnmower racing or, um, you know, doing the things that that took her to say, let's do something different. Let's let's be something that just don't exist out there and make it the best that we can and, and meet good people and, and create great friendships and, and and when it's all said and done we we you know, just what a blessing and we gotta thank the Lord for that, you know? Well you can tell guys why I wanted Mike Mueller on here with the knowledge that he has and the values that he's sharing with us. Uh, which leads me to say this, uh, Mike, you're an avid outdoorsman. You love to deer hunt, you and Amanda and your daughter. And as you just said, she's the president of the archery club at, I guess, Missouri State University uh, at college. Yeah. But she's an archery champion. Uh, let's talk about your hunting before we go to a break. We go to a break here in about a minute and a half to two minutes. But let's just touch on that real quick. Who got you guys involved in the outdoors of hunting? Who introduced you to that? So uh, I, when I came back here, and I really didn't know a lot of people when I first moved to the Donovan area, and uh, you know, and I, I met a few people. Um, uh, of course, Alex, you know, you know Sam, uh, Sam Griffin, good friend of mine, and uh, and I also had another buddy named named uh, Stedham um, um, that, that just basically what what his name was Sam as well. But anyway, and he just said, hey, you know. Let, let's let me take you hunting for the first time and I, and you know it was just something that I said you know let let's see what it's all about let's let's get into it and and from there out it for me it wasn't just doing what someone else was doing once once which we can get into a little later once I had my own land and my own uh place to to actually get out there I didn't want to just hunt I wanted to develop I wanted to uh, really seek into the, the the management of it and and how to how to see things grow from you know we're we're too we don't live long enough to see our land change shape but we do live long enough to see everything that comes in and out of it you know uh, what wildlife you can bring to it and and what what you can do to to manage that wildlife and I think that's one of the greatest aspects about how I really dug deep into want to just continuing to get out there and to hunt and, and to carry that tradition down. My, my daughter is a avid, avid hunter. Matter of fact, she says, uh, she pulls the weight when it comes to hunting in the family. So. <laughs> Mike Muir, uh, avid outdoorsman, Christian man of faith, a very knowledgeable man on ATVs. Don't go away. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors 
right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. And this big old hill. Year after year, got my presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. Alex Rutledge, your host. Uh, on the phone with Mr. Mike Mueller, ATV specialist, uh, avid hunter, avid outdoorsman, uh, man of faith, a family man. And this guy, as I'm talking to you, I'm standing here uh, watching three does wallowing and playing in the muddy pond right below me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. And that being said, man, we've got some great information here for all of our listeners. Uh, what we're going to talk about now, we've, we've talked to Mike a little bit about his roots and where he was born and raised and uh, where he went to school and he attended the military and his family. Uh, but I've got a question for you. you. You said you got involved in hunting through a friend, Sam Stedman. Now, how old was you when you got introduced to the outdoors? And this may encourage other listeners that may be an older age to get in the out, involved in the outdoors. How old were you? Yeah, so I was uh, already 21, 22, somewhere around that age when I uh, when he had asked me to to, to kind of get involved with what he had going on and and what ultimately I I root myself on there is that you know like you said it, you know there there don't have to be an age stigma to to what goes on when it comes to hunting. Um, ima- imagine how many people out there that. Uh, uh, never had, never had nobody just to say, "Hey, come on with me, I'll take you going." And and I think that's what it's all about. And you know, I've always been. We we tend to want to do it a lot with the youth, which is fantastic. I think that's great. But what what about the the guy that no one ever said it as a, as a as when he was young or she was young, uh, the guy or girl, and then, and then turn around and say, "Hey, I know you're twenty something years old, but have you ever been hunting? Do you know what it's all about?" And 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 let me show you the ropes. And there's going to be there's going to be guys just like myself that says, man, I, I would love to do that and maybe turn around to where it becomes a passion of theirs. You know, yeah. uh, uh, when I got out of the Navy, I I really didn't know what I was going to do. And so I went over and like I said, I was working for GM, but you know, I was about two months shy of finishing to where I was on something called temporary active reserve. And for those of you that are military knows what that is, but uh, I was about to finish out my active reserve where I can stay home at work and then finally get discharged. But right before that, I got called back to Iraq and I went back over to overseas where uh, unfortunately I took an injury over there. And, and, and when I come back, you know, the, the GM at that time, for those of you, of course, you know, in 08, in 08 and 09, GM wasn't hiring anybody. They themselves were going through a bailout. And so I said, you know what, why not take my knowledge and just go somewhere else? And this is the kind of adversity that I think so many people really need to dig down and find in themselves is that, you know, just find what you are passionate about or or if you think you might be, give it a shot, try it. And I, and I took my whole world and I said, I'm getting out of the automotive side and I went over to the power sports side. And that's where I went to work for a power sports dealership where I was a, a, a service manager there. And then I became Polaris Gold certified there. And, um, and, and moving right on to that, I then later got an opportunity to work for a company where I went all over the U.S. and trained and developed and wrote my own curriculum on uh, how to run service departments and what is the right aspects, anything from, 
you know that that danger word that no one likes to hear warranty but uh but I, you know I'm later on I'll do it I'll share you guys some of the key tips and tricks to what to do to make sure that you're in line with uh what it takes to take care of your unit at a professional level and some of this stuff you can do right from your house and and really really get an edge up on getting the most life out of your ATV or side by side you know, Alex, what I hear here is a is a gentleman that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes when when a door closes on somebody, we just, you know, they stand there in the dark and go, well, what am I going to do now? And, and we've all heard the term forever, one door closes, you know, when one door closes, another one opens, and you just got to walk through it. And it sounds like that's what Mike did. Yes, he did. It, it, it's, it's proof and it's a testimony of how to never give up, you know, and, and it's all about faith and uh, very well said. Very well said. I know Wayne's chomping at the bit to ask more questions. I'm turning it back to Wayne. <laughs> Go ahead, Wayne. I, I, I'm still baffled with this whole um, lawnmower racing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the city of Cleveland, you know, I mean, I, I remember being in a stand, but maybe the second day I ever hunted with Alex and I was filming him, and he said something about growing up and and doing lawnmower racing, and I literally thought he was pulling my leg, saying, "Okay, here's a city boy. I'm going to joke with him and get him to believe this." And it wasn't until Linda said, "No, he really did race lawnmowers. They're they're beefed up lawn." I'm like, "You guys are freaking yeah. kidding me!" But no, that's a real thing. I, so I, I'm still amazed by that, you know. So for anybody that, that's out there listening to this, that lives in the city this is a real thing <laughs> it is and and and, yeah. and ask alex about the uh the the fall that he lost bow hunting because of his lawnmower racing accident <laughs> i don't know if alex wants to talk about that one <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a bad wreck anyway i don't like everyone to tell the bad wreck but i could not draw my bow and i could right. only draw about 40 pounds wow. uh and it cost me several deer that year uh, mm. uh, and I just got, I had trouble. So no more lawn racing. Said, no more lawnmower racing for Alex. Yeah, and that's when <laughs> I had other partners, and I can tell you right now, uh, they was on me pretty hard about that. My partners in Bloodline <laughs> at that time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of the greatest things about that sport is watching it go from Alex. You know, when we started, there was no such thing as going out and buying parts for a racing lawnmower. You know, we had to make it. We we we. You know, for you tech heads out there, we had to drill and weld on our own cam lobes, you know, that you couldn't buy parts. So, But now the sport has evolved so much, you can go online and buy parts for your racing lawnmower. So <laughs> let that tell you about how far it's come. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it was talk- a lot of fun, but it was really, really dangerous. But uh, that being said, let's switch some gears again before we go to a break here. And Wayne uh, and Mike will we'll let you know when we go to a break. But I want you to think about this. Uh ATVs. Why is an ATV important to outdoors men and women? Think about that, and you can answer that, and then we'll go to the break. I think the biggest aspect is that the versatility. I think that's a key word when we're talking about side-by-side and and, uh, four-wheelers, because I like to talk about side-by-sides and ATVs, because ultimately, let's, let's use the right tool for the right job. Uh, you know, I preach that it's, it's no different when, when you're using the right equipment, uh, uh, out in the field, you, you know, using a bow, you're probably not going to try to do, you know, a hundred, 200 yards, obviously. So, so let's, you know, when, if, if you are, uh, an older, um, man or woman and, and obviously getting onto an ATV is going to be tough. 
you know, getting getting what fits for you and what gets around the woods, knowing your hunting area. Uh, there's going to be a difference between take, where you can take a side-by-side versus where you can take an ATV. You know, we'll talk a little bit about what all you can equip with each of those each of those nowadays. And then we'll, and then we'll kind of also get into what it takes to prepare before the hunt to, to really get in there and make sure that what you're using is going to be uh, useful for you and, all, and uh, maybe even – and later on, and I don't know, maybe part of the bonus segment, I'll give you some really neat things that people are doing nowadays that specifically apply to hunting, especially if you're deer hunting. I'll give you some neat ideas as to what to do to, to prepare just for that specific hunt. All right, sounds fantastic. Folks, we got to go to a break. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors Radio right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Jessica White with Wonder Woman, Kansas. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Passed on down, planted deep in the ground Around your heart So you never gotta worry What the wind might Hornady do presents Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors This is our final and last segment of the radio show And uh, what a great guest, Wayne, Mike uh, Mike Miller's been here And the content that he's given us is So much knowledge there and passion in what he does And you know, we left off in the last segment talking about why is a UTV a necessity for outdoors men and women, and, and he answered that very, uh, very. It was very informative. So that being said, uh, now we know why we need UTVs. Let's talk about uh, how UTV could actually help you be a more successful hunter and make your hunt easier. Let's talk about that. So, so I think going into this, we have to think that, that a lot of times in, in my business down here in seeing how we, we live in a great area, uh, even though I am in Forest City, Arkansas here at Forest City Power Sports, but I see a lot of people that come in and, and during, right before season, we'll see an influx of a lot of ATVs and side-by-sides coming in, and, and that's great that, that they're prepping for the hunt. Um, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that I see um, out there is not getting that full checklist in as to what you need before you take off for the hunt. Um, and so we'll, we'll dig into just a little bit on something. Some of this is, might sound pretty rudimentary, might sound pretty, you know, kindergarten type, but, but a lot of it's going to be just a, a general checklist reminder. But then again, I'll get into some more details on some things that a lot of people don't know. Cause I think that the more education that we put out there, the better you are to, to serve your own side by side and ATV. Um, so cold weather preparation is different than warm weather preparation, especially on an outdoor vehicle. Uh, they, they don't respond the same in, in weather types. So we hear a lot of, uh, let's, let's start with one of the most easy topics that I hear a lot of is batteries. Um, so naturally, the biggest mistake that I see when it comes to batteries is a lot of personnel don't know what type of battery is in their side-by-side. So we know that there's maintenance-free batteries. Those are the ones that are just like what's in your car. It's not any different than you don't really have to do anything and you don't have to worry about filling it with acid, which brings me to my second type of battery, Um, the acid-filled type batteries. You want to make sure that for whatever reason, that that battery from sloshing around or or anything didn't lose acid somewhere because a low acid will cause a discharge in a battery. And so that's the other thing. One of the most common batteries we are now seeing in four-wheelers and side-by-sides is something called ASAG, 
AGM, I'm sorry, AGM, which is an absorbed glass mat battery. Here's the reason why I want to mention this so bad is because really when you are charging your battery on a four-wheeler or a side-by-side, you need to look to see if your battery is an AGM or absorbed glass mat. If it is, there is a setting on most chargers nowadays that will charge that specific battery. It does not charge the same way as a regular maintenance-free or as an acid-type battery. On almost all side-by-sides and four-wheelers, there will be a charging method literally printed in black and white on the face of your battery, and you need to follow that charging method. Sometimes it'll say charge at a specific amps at a specific time. And I think that there's so many people that don't know, they want to just go get a regular battery charger like what's on your truck and try to charge uh, an absorbed glass mat battery, and that will actually ruin that battery. Hmm. And so you'll have to, you know, uh, having a dead battery is one of the worst things you could do on any hunt trip. So um, a couple other things is uh, don't forget that to to kind of – some, some people will just flat out take a picture of their battery before they put it in for easy reference because some batteries are hard to get to. And the other one, number one thing I see when it comes to batteries is because these vehicles get moved around so much is that we tend to have a lot of uh, pop-up messages on our display screens or extended cranks, and that's flat out because of loose battery cables. Uh, for, for cable ends that come with like a 10 millimeter and a Phillips screwdriver, if at all possible, use a 10 millimeter to tighten that and not a Phillips screwdriver. And that way it'll, it'll ensure that that battery's tighter. So any questions on that before I move on to tires? No, I don't think so. And I, and I think, like you said, that's pretty rudimentary, but, uh, but something people need to think about. <laughs> so, uh, so let's go on to tires. I think, so one of the biggest things I see on tires you know, we, we talk about having good tires and having that, and then we talk about tread and tread pattern. Um, if you are using a tread pattern with a really wide gap before between the tread pattern, uh, obviously you're going to have more of a mud or off-road design tire. Keep in mind, if you're running off-road design tires and the tread patterns are really wide, those are very, very uh, receptive to running down real fast if you're using on very, very hard gravel or on asphalt or road surfaces. So if you if, if that's your primary use or to get to your hunting spot and you got to take any kind of hard road surfaces, keep in mind those tires, the less you're on uh, asphalt or concrete, the better those tires are going to last. Also, don't you know, a lot of people think, you know, I get tread for good grip. Tread does more than good grip on tires. The higher tread that you have, the more it keeps the face of that tire off of anything like if you're running through a freshly cut field and it stays away from, you know, people call them stobs or, or stakes or, you know, fresh cut, you know, uh, grass and, and jagged rocks, the more tread you have on there, let that tread hit those components and stay away from them puncturing the actual face of your tire. So tread becomes a, a primary substance when it uh, when we're talking about tires also a lot of side-by-sides and atvs they will have on the side-by-side empty an actual placard that placard will tell you where your what psi you should be at remember putting too much air pressure in a side-by-side and four-wheeler uh is not good because that 
that induces the ability to that when you do hit a jagged rock, it may just it may it may just puncture a lot easier rather than flexing over the rock. Uh, and and here's the other thing: a lot of people don't know many of them tires don't take more than 20 psi. So keep your your pounds of uh, air in that tire. Uh, read your placard because some of them are are only at seven and eight psi. And a lot of people we have that come in with tires here at Forest City, they come in and they have oof. 30, 32 psi in these tires, <laughs> wow. and uh, and then wondering why they're they're running the way they are. So you kind of got to watch that too. So we kind of correct that. One good thing to take out, like every like everything, is that preparation. Having that checklist, having some kind of sealant with you. Nowadays they can make small bottles. There's all kinds of different sealants out there to have. Uh, don't forget that patches is really not a thing when it comes to ATVs and side by sides. A plugs is the way to go. And so have a plug kit with you. I was just on a ride this weekend with one of my great friends, Jason, uh, and, and had a, had a flat and, uh, sure enough, he had a plug and we just, we plugged my tire and went on and I enjoyed the rest of the ride because of that one little step of having that ahead of time in order to take care of any emergencies or stuff that come up. Sealant's a good way to go, especially if you get a sidewall cut, but having a plug kit is very little weight. And it's something very easy and, and very inexpensive that could really save your entire hunt. So, uh, tires on it, and then fluids. Um, we ready to go on to, to fluids? Uh, yeah, and, and and just for about the, I mean, just about sixty or ninety seconds, we'll be, and we got to wrap it up. Yeah, not a problem. So, I'll try to try to keep this brief because I know there's a lot of content here, and and someone can always reach out to me later. I'd be happy to help anybody. But anyway. Fluids, biggest part is level and condition. A lot of people want to check the level of your fluids. One of the biggest things I want to say, if you are low in your brake fluid reservoir, just like a car or a truck, there is no such thing as topping off your brake fluid because you should not lose any brake fluid. So if you have a tech that comes out and says, hey, we topped off your brake fluid, something else is wrong. Most likely that fluid is is encapsulated inside the caliper, which means that your brake pads are so low, all the fluid's being reserved in the calipers. So there's no such thing as topping off your brake fluid. Hmm. If your calipers and your brakes were at a decent level, your fluid would also be at a decent level, either that or you have a leak. So level and condition when it comes to fluids. Oil types, one of the biggest things I want to say on oil types is exactly this. Most engines that are built today are built for and around what oil type is going to be in there. Don't put synthetic in something that doesn't take synthetic. Over a long period of time, if you swell those seals by using the wrong type of oil, you are actually creating leaks on those seals further down the road because of the type of oil you put in there. Please use the recommended oil that it says in your owner's manual or on your caps. Um, uh, that's That's the biggest thing. You don't want O-rings or seals leaking over time because you chose to put a different type of oil in there. And so that's that's almost imperative nowadays yeah. on any of these engines. Great information. And I think what we're going to do on the bonus segment, Wayne and Redbone, is talk about warranty, how you can keep your warranty intact and protect yourself by following these simple rules of warranty protection. I want to thank everybody for listening to American Roots Outdoors with Mike Mueller. Uh, General Manager for Forest City, Arkansas, ATV dealership. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest. We'd love to have you back on again later on if that would be possible. Oh, absolutely. Just let me know. <laughs>
Yes, sir. We have a famous saying here at American Roots, and we just want to tell everybody thank you again for listening to our podcast, our radio show. And remember, share the outdoors with your family and friends. And uh, our old saying is, Redbone, Wayne? When your roots run deep and strong, there is no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do, American joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. This is Wayne Locke, Mike Grace in the studio with me. We have Mike Mueller on the phone. If you're listening to this, that means you're on our podcast. We appreciate you very much for listening to us on the podcast. Be sure to leave a five-star review and get entered in one of our drawings that we do about every couple weeks. We draw a name. We have a drawing this next week, so we'll uh, have a great package going out. Uh, Just a little update on our uh, podcast, though. Uh, We're currently ranked number 43 in the nation. We have three episodes in the top 200 right now, Alex. Wow, that's cool. That is wonderful. And we have a new apparel line that just came in the mail the other day, so I'm going to be posting that up on the uh, Facebook page. But we got our new podcast apparel and mugs that just came in. And again, if you are an Android user, you must go to Podchaser to leave a review. Uh, And if you're an Apple user, just go to Apple Podcasts and leave your review. But, Mike, when you left off, you were talking about fluid levels and tires and all that kind of stuff, and I know there's a whole lot more you need to cover, so let's let's continue on. Yeah, no worries. So we, we talk a little bit about the warranty side of it, but so I'll, I'll definitely get into the warranty side. Some of this, will, some of this will, will gap into the warranty and some other tips and tricks into, into what you can do. But one of the biggest things that I, I note that a lot of people do not do before they take off hunting is – if you have at all, I mean, if you have a pressure washer, it is almost just a key factor to before you head off, you've got all kinds of things that, that you've been running through, all different fields, all different. If you hunt somewhere different than where you live and you're going to you're gonna load this thing up and, you, and you're going to take it, you know, 40 miles, 50 miles, whatever, to, to another uh, hunt or campsite, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you pressure wash everything from front to back. And here's the reason why. That pressure washing does a lot more than just keep it clean and, and kind of helps with different scents and stuff like that, which we'll get into a little bit more. But if you were to have a problem and you were out there and you were on a trail and you think you smell something leaking, it is a nightmare that if you've done run this thing through the mud for hours and hours and you didn't pressure wash it, you, you will have the hardest time trying to find out where that leak is. So, you know, that kind of, you kind of think that that's kind of a no brainer, but time and time again, these things come in here. I see them loaded up with mud. And the hardest part is for the tech. He has to spend probably an hour and a half cleaning it because it's hard to determine the root cause of the leak if you don't know, if you, if you can't see it. Hmm. So that, that's kind of a no brainer, but it's also very important out there as well. Don't forget to clean out radiators. We have a lot of farmers that, that coincide with the hunting world. I know that's just a phenomenal thing. But, but the, re, the reality of it is if you're running through a field and you got fescue seeds and stuff like that and it gets in that radiator, you're going to treat it different than just idling by and, and going down a field. You're going to get up to some speeds. You know, you might be going to a trail. You might have to, 
to go on different roads that you're not to if you take that you're not used to if you're taking different hunting. So keep that radiator washed out because that'll keep those temperatures low. And uh, believe it or not, that's something that I just see time and time again is radiators compacted with all the seeds and stuff. So you know that's that's another big thing. Here's a big one that I don't see a lot of people do, and that warranty will ask you if you want to keep your warranty covered. Here's the bottom line. Warranty could care less about any parts that are broke on your unit. We call them units down here, side-by-side or ATV. They could care less about what's broke. Here's the key element to this, and I'll give someone just some key knowledge here. It all has to do with how that component broke. Water pumps are covered under warranty, but if you roll your unit over three times and a rock goes through the side of your water pump, well, then that's not a mechanical failure. Even though water pumps are on your warranty contract, keep in mind the bottom line is how did that warranty, uh, how is warranty going to be covered based on the type of failure? What's the number, number one thing that is, um, not covered under warranty that we can all prevent is axle boots. If you were, if you have the ability and can invest in axle boot, uh, guards, that is almost a must, a must for almost every hunter out there because as soon as your axle boot rips, you start losing axle grease. Once you start losing axle grease and that axle goes dry, the very first thing that you want to do is take it up to a dealership and say, cover my axle under warranty. If the boot is torn, I don't know any manufacturer out there that turns around and says, we'll go ahead and cover it if the boot's torn. And so you you naturally want to be mad at that that dealership, but it's really not the dealership's fault at all. You really want to make sure that that you have the ability to guard those axle boots at all costs. Belts are another thing. Belts and clutches, they're wearable items just like brakes. But to save the life of your belt, here's the biggest thing I tell all my customers. When you are loading and unloading a vehicle, if you are going somewhere that you're going to stay under 10 miles an hour for the duration of your trip, many of these won't go over 10 miles an hour if you have your seatbelt unplugged. So if you're going to go somewhere that you're not going to plug in your seatbelt, like loading and unloading a trailer, put it in low gear every so often, and that will actually prolong the life of your belt. So if you're just going to be pulling it into the shop, just going to be lugging it around the house or moving it for a quick second, change your belt dynamics by putting it in low gear instead of high gear, and that'll save that $200 belt um, over the over life. I have some customers that will have a belt for almost, you know, three, 4,000 miles and others that for whatever reason can't keep a belt for five, 600 miles. It all, and there is no such thing as looking up, um, a chart that says how long a belt should last because there's so many different factors and variables to that. Yeah. I've never, so that's heard, another big part of that. I've never heard about that belt thing about putting it in first gear like that. Hey, I do have a quick question though about the, uh, the radiator before you continue on with this. And that is, I've heard some split sure. recommendations on how to clean your, uh, radiator. Some people say don't power wash it. Other people say yes, you can power wash it. Some people say no, you got to use compressed air. W- what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so here's here's the best thing. So let's talk about what a radiator is. You know, that metal in the very front is most likely aluminum, and it, it, they're almost all aluminum these days, and they're very, very thin. Using a pressure washer, you don't want to get the pressure to where it bends those fins over because mm-hmm. you want that cool air to pass through it. Using a regular water hose most likely will clean it out. If you use compressed air, it will also have the ability to, if you're close enough and, you know, depending on different shops, you might have a lot of compressed air, but say you're using 100 PSI air 
that will also bend that. So you just want to stay with whatever you're doing. You want to have a distance kept up and you don't want to get right up on there. What I use is a hose that has more of like a shower type nozzle to it. And then that shower type nozzle and just keep running it over there. You'll be able to see through the radiator once, once you get uh, through there. But I also want to mention, and this brings up a good fact, air filters. Do not ever use compressed air on an air filter. I've seen this time and time again where guys will take their air filter, they'll take compressed air and they'll blow out the air filter. You are not helping yourself because compressed air will actually separate the fibers of the air filter. When you get done blowing it out, you will look like you have a perfectly clean air filter. But what are you really doing when you put that back on your side-by-side or four-wheeler? You've actually caused more of a gap between the air filter uh, system. Wow. And so the best thing to do if if you're out on the road, you can knock it out, but always replace your air filter if possible. Good tip. That is a good tip, and yeah. and and back to the radiator, Mike. Would you would you suggest using any kind of a detergent or anything on that radiator to help clean it out, or or just use pure water? Uh, you know, soap and water, just of any kind of soap and water, the same soap you use to clean your your truck or car. You mm-hmm. know, any anything like that would be just fine. It, it's not really going to hinder anything. Uh, you do want to stay away from uh, pressure. The, the one things you don't want to pressure wash is any electrical components. Because they have a seal on them on a lot of ATVs mm-hmm. and side-by-sides, unlike a car, because they're not internal, they're external. And so you just want to stay away from pressure washing any electrical components, because you don't want the pressure to separate the seal. And once you do that, you've kind of gone downhill. Here's another thing that I know that a lot of people don't pay attention to that is in your book, spark arresters. Spark arresters have a, pro- a life to them. Everyone is side-by-side or four-wheelers. They all have a life on a spark arrester. The, and if you don't know what I mean by that, it's, it's basically the filter uh, mesh component that comes out of your exhaust tailpipe. If you notice, a lot of them have three bolts that hold that in there. That is said, once it's cool, obviously, we don't want no one to get hurt. We want you to remove those three bolts and clean that spark arrester. You can blow that out with compressed air. It ain't going to hurt anything. And if it's damaged in any way because it is causing back pressure, then on your exhaust system, you want to make sure spark arresters are cleaning. Because let's let's break it down. Spark arrester. What does that do? It keeps any sparks that may come out of your engine and be putting it out into the atmosphere. Nothing's worse than going through a field and you got sparks coming out of your exhaust. Because then what have you done, obviously, if you're in a dry field? So think about the name of that and how important it really is. And it is one of the most neglected things on all side-by-sides and four-wheelers. Well, sparks so. coming out of your exhaust on a 55 Chevy used to look really cool back in the day. but <laughs> <laughs> I think they made movies about it. Yeah. yeah. Until, <laughs> until they caught a police officer's pants leg on fire. Right. right. <laughs> hey, Mike, well, I, so one other thing I want to oh, – go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. What a wonderful guest you've been, man. So much knowledge and uh, – and I know the ATVers out there that's listening to this are going to greatly appreciate this. And we awesome. get you back. And I hope so. I mean, and, and like I said, it's, I, if I come back on, I'll be able to share a whole lot more. And, um, you know, I still got some more content I can just breathe over. I don't know how much more time we got, but, uh, yeah, just, um, just about you know, when it comes seconds, to the right? hunting world, I can get more into the – one of the biggest things is, is hunting equipment. Um, how, how much more time we got? I don't even know. Yeah, just about 60 seconds, and that's it. Okay, well, let's get on one of the neat things that I wanted to share with everybody. Um, so one of the newest things that's coming on board, if you are a deer hunter and you have a side-by-side, 
I'm going to try to paint a vision for you so that you can you can just envision exactly what I'm trying to say. But if you have a side-by-side, we all know that we love to put winches on in case we get ourselves in a tight spot. But if you can do it, one of the neatest things to do, especially if you're a deer hunter and you're off and are by yourself and you need to get that deer onto your bed of the side-by-side, what a lot of people are doing now is taking a winch and mounting it above your rear rack. So basically, if you have a windshield in the back, picture it mounted above that. And then if you open up your bed and you put your winch to that deer and you winch it up, when it goes to the bed, it'll be heavy enough that it'll winch it up and close your bed at the same time. <laughs> so especially if you are in the woods and you are by yourself. So, so easily to just extend your winch, pull it up above the bed, and the weight of the deer will close the bed yourself. And you could just keep your winch on there until you get to where you got to go to go ahead and, and dress that deer out the rest of the way. Awesome. That's a great tip, Mike. And, Mike, we got to get you back because I think we just touched the tip of the iceberg of the knowledge that you can share with some of our <laughs> listeners. Bet. Alex, what do you think? I think we've had a wonderful show and the great content, excellent content. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show again. And uh, how can people contact you and how can they follow or ask you questions about their ATVs? Yeah, so obviously, like I said, I'm down here at uh, Forest City, Honda Forest City, uh, and, and you can look up there and just ask, ask for Mike and, and that you heard about us. But one of the easiest ways, just go ahead and, and I, I'm on Facebook quite often. I try to reach out to people and help them if I can. But uh, Mike Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, uh, I'll go ahead and send a link to you guys, and, and, and then that way you can put it up on your show side if you need to uh, as yeah, to what my Facebook link is. but. I'm wearing a Bowtech hat on my profile pic, so you can't you can't mistake that. <laughs> Great Good stuff, and thanks again for being on the show. And uh, if you want to learn more about ATV repairs or warranty work, anything, be sure to follow Mike Mueller, Fourth City, Arkansas, the guy with the Bowtech hat on. Again, thanks for listening. <laughs> Remember, when your roots run deep and strong, there is no reason to fear the wind.